I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu. Uh, Joining me this week, as promised last week, is uh, Big V, a.k.a. Bug V, man. What's going on? (laughs) Man, that tweet went crazy. I did not see that coming. yeah, okay, Des- describe the tweet to the people who are listening and um, describe the interaction on it, because it was nuts. Yeah, I mean, basically, I was watching a Naomi Osaka tennis match, and then out of nowhere, before she can serve, this uh, butterfly lands on her foot, I want to say, or her leg, and then someone from the crowd actually yells out, like, Naomi, there's a butterfly on you, and then she looks down, and then because she's Naomi Osaka, she has, like, She's like super calm and chill about it and just like puts it onto her hand and then just walks over to the side, places the butterfly so peacefully and then just walks back to serve like nothing happened. And yeah, then the tweet just went crazy, man. Like of all the things I've tweeted, <laughs> yo, for that to just go as viral as it did and then for Osaka to tweet it out. Yeah. No, that's nuts. Um, yeah, I think the last time I checked it, it was like 124,000 likes. Yeah, it was something crazy like that. I mean, I had to turn off the notifications real quick. Yeah, I'm sure you're probably still getting it right now, to be honest. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, other than that, just, you know, lockdown life. Lockdown life. Yo, it's been, it's almost a one year anniversary of the last time the Raptors played a game. Not even just like at home, just like a game period. It's already past the one year anniversary of the Raptors playing a game at Scotiabank. Um, yeah, do you remember I think that game, by the way? The one where they lost to the Hornets, 99 yeah. 96. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There was like some sort of like silly foul, I think. Someone took like a bad foul. They were about yeah. to make a comeback. And then I think Rondé might have taken a foul or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Uh-oh. And I just remember that game because like Rondé was just sitting like, in the locker room, like not sharing, whatever, just like sulking a little bit, not even sulking, just like upset with himself. Right. And Serge finally came over after like an hour and was just like, Hey man, it's okay. It's just, it's just part of the game. It's, it's all good, man. It's all good. Yeah. So Rondé took a foul uh, before the ball was inbounded at 96, 96. And mm-hmm. so that put Charlotte at the free throw line uh, with two seconds left and with the ball. And that's how the Raptors lost that game. Um, but yeah, Rondé was just caught up about that, and then Serge came over and confront and uh, just like uh, comforted him, which is uh, super nice. I wonder who's comforting the players right now. Probably nobody. Due to COVID. And then this was right before that West Coast trip that was super fun, right? Where yes. like Serge and Mark didn't play, so OG played center against Jokic. He had the game. He had like thirty points. He had like eight steals or something like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or seven steals maybe. And then and then they beat up on the Jazz. Uh, oh man. And that was the end. That was the end. Yeah, we're almost coming up on the one-year anniversary of that. Uh, that was March 9th, where the Raptors played the Jazz. And then the day after, it was announced that Rudy Gobert had tested positive for COVID. And it was super crazy because the Raptors finally came finally came home. And they were going to have, like, two or three days. And, you know, we were going to these, like, events that... Um, there was, like, two events happening on the same night. Norman Powell had, like, a charity uh, bowling, bowling tournament yeah. that he was holding. Um in downtown Toronto. And then there's another event. Nick nurse had a Nick nurse foundation, uh, kickoff launch with like some musicians, stuff like that. That mm-hmm. was also happening at hotel X on the same night. So some of the players came to norm sting and then went to the nursing afterwards, whatever. And I just remember at the, at, at the, the norm bowling event, um, they were like, okay, you gotta put six feet between, you know, you and the players. And it was like, okay, cool. Uh, but like everyone was kind of just like chilling about the virus at that time. Yeah. And we were just we kept asking questions like because they've been they've been injured so we kept asking like how nice is it going to be for everyone to come back together like to have a full squad again like are you guys going to really make noise 
I think Norm had been out for a while there too. So mm-hmm. like Norm in particular was like really looking forward to it. And then yeah, like literally <laughs> later that night, like during the event itself, that's when everyone got the alert from Woj that uh um Gobert had tested positive and then pretty much I think right afterwards Tom Hanks announced that he was positive as well and it was like the whole world yeah. kind of started well the western world started taking it seriously at that point although I don't know but remember how wild it was that like they called off that jazz thunder game right y- yeah 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 and then and that that happened literally a minute before tip off and then for whatever reason like they kept going and there was that one final game. I think the Mavs were playing someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Mavs might have been playing the Pelicans, and everyone's like watching this game because it's like everyone feels like this is the last game we're gonna watch for a while. Oh man. <clears throat> yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And we went from that to the bubble. Yeah, and we went from that to um, <laughs> some actual positive cases on the Raptors. It really sucks that it's kind of like this. Um, yeah. So that's. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, like actual basketball stuff, but I think it's hard to ignore the actual news items um, currently affecting the team. So you had Raptors, uh, Raptors Bulls that was postponed, um, and then Raptors Pistons was scheduled to play uh, today on Tuesday, but it's been tentatively pushed back to Wednesday. We'll see if they play the game or not. Um, I'm a little skeptical, but I think you do think that game will go on. Um, so from the reporting of what we've seen, I, I saw in Michael Grange's piece that uh, one coach is confirmed positive. And that Pascal had an inconclusive test. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not totally sure how many tests and, and how many um, cases are with the team, how many are confirmed, anything like that. Um, of course, like the NBA, especially um, these interviews that you watch with Bobby Webster, he's keeping it very, very tight-lipped. He's not going to mm-hmm. comment on these things. It's, you know, part of, I guess, uh, just health and privacy and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Like, what do you think of it, first off? I mean, obviously, it's, like, just a really unfortunate thing to happen, but... Um, yeah, the know, entire this... situation is just messed up, but I feel like this is just the route that Adam Silver and the NBA has chosen to take, right? I think the second they announced that it was going to be a 72-game season, we knew that that was going to be because uh, local broadcasters, you know, to get that payment out, the stipulation is that 70 games are played in the regular season i i'm pretty sure if that wasn't the case say for example if the local broadcaster deal was 50 games i don't think mm-hmm. we would have seen a 72 game season i think we probably would have seen a, you know a 58 game season where everyone just plays each other twice and that's it you know um, that's your dream that's that's what you want the the, uh, the epl that, style that, schedule. that that is exactly what i want but you know so i think uh the reality is a lot of this has to do with money and let's face it, it, that trickles down to everyone, right? The NBA wants their money. The players want their money. Um, us as employees, like I know going back to last ma- March, I was in a bit of a panic. I was like, how am I going to make money with no sports mm-hmm. on? And the reality is I am a lot more comfortable in, in, with this situation. Uh, obviously not, you know, uh, everything that's happening around it, I just mean financially. Uh, but you hope the players are okay. You hope, hope the coaching staff is okay. Uh, they couldn't play the last game because they couldn't get the minimum eight players. How that changes uh, between then and Wednesday remains to be seen, but I don't think they would have had the Pistons take the flight to Florida if they didn't anticipate uh, the possibility of a game being played. And so again, I, I you know, you, you look at them having already made this second half schedule. I don't think they want to put any more games than they need to. And so that's why they're, they're probably going to try and force in whatever they can before the All-Star break. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, when they announced the second half schedule, like it's super packed there. Like the Raptors had been very fortunate in terms of relative to the league. They were one of the last they were the fourth last team to not have um, I guess COVID cases or COVID cancellations. I'm totally not totally sure which specific one, but th- basically the Raptors had not been affected that much uh, by COVID outside of the actual just general circumstance of it all. Um, but yeah, I mean this is this is scary because I, I you know it, it you know like you've heard obviously tons of players have had it now. Um, players have spoken about sort of the effects that they've had. Um, mm-hmm. 
coming back from COVID. Like Jason Tatum missed a few games after he was testing positive. And he said that, you know, it kind of affected his breathing. Not that necessarily he would always be struggling to breathe, but there would be some times where he feels like he would get fatigued very quickly. And of course, this being a respiratory disease, uh, disease that, you know, that, that does seem to make sense. Like a guy like Drew Holiday missed like 10 games. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you just literally everyone is just kind of hoping for the best and kind of barreling through it. And honestly, the second half schedule, like Raptors got eight sets of back-to-backs. This is over the course of like two and a half months. Um, the more cancellations you have, the more postponements. Um, generally speaking, that's going to compress that schedule even more. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 going to be a mess. Um, and on top of the fact that let's say the Raptors, okay, let's say the Raptors don't play this Piston game, which you know, as you mentioned, I would say it's probably it, it's still possible. Like again, you, you don't send the team unless you do think it's going to happen. But there's an op- there's a there's a situation that could arise where the Raptors essentially don't play a game for two weeks because right after this, at the end of this week, is the All Star break for a week. Mm-hmm. Like the Raptors might have two full weeks that they play, go without playing games. And I do wonder how that's going to affect the players. Um, a, because players, you know, they're going to be taking vacations. Now, I think the NBA is restricting them from leaving the United States, but they can go to like, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, for example, or like, I don't know, other U.S. Uh, colonies, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. But they essentially can't leave the U.S. And, you know, but still, they're going to be on vacation. And you hope that like there are no additional, uh, I don't know cases that come from that um but yeah i mean are you like i guess i don't know man what am i really gonna ask you about it really but like are you worried about sort of how COVID might affect the raptors going forward i am because you look at it they've played 34 games to this point say for example both the wednesday and thursday games don't happen they're looking at trying to squeeze 38 games in 65 days. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to be brutal. You know, players are going to miss games. The injuries are going to be a major concern. You mentioned the eight back-to-backs. Obviously, that would increase if they have to move these three games uh, over. And then you think about, you know, we've talked about from a basketball standpoint, the margin for error this team has from a talent standpoint, but the margin for error they have record-wise puts them in a tough spot, right? This isn't a mm-hmm. situation where, say, for example, if they were where, where they've been the last couple of years and in the one seed, two seed, you're saying, okay, yeah, we're going to rest Kyle for all these back-to-backs. We're going to make sure that everyone gets their rest. Then, you know, the concern isn't there. But because the record is what it is, and I assume they're going to continue to compete as hard as they can, that's where the, c- the concern stems from, right? You're going to be playing these games, trying to win as many as you can. Players are going to be racking up the minutes. And so there is going to be major risks uh, from an injury standpoint, in my perspective. Yeah, which is super unfortunate. But again, this is, I don't know, this is the situation the NBA and the players kind of sign up for. And uh, I mean, they're literally trying to play through a pandemic. So hopefully, I don't know. I, do you, I think part of the thing is like, I thought maybe the NBA thought that by this point, vaccines would be more available. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe if you like vaccinate the entire league that they could operate a little bit more smoothly, but I don't know, man. I mean, if you read some of the reports, like it seems like a lot of players are skeptical about the vaccine yeah. for some understandable reasons. And yeah, I don't know, but I, I, I guess I am generally more worried about the coaches, right? Like, cause again, like, like you got some really old coaches in this league. Like, yeah, Bob they're more like 70 plus. Sure. Yeah, like Mike D'Antoni, 70-plus, like, it's tough, right? I mean, so, you know, like Alec McKechnie, for example, is like 70 years old and he's traveling with the team. Like, it's it's just a bit of a scary situation all around. But, I, I mean, this is, I mean, one-year anniversary. I mean, this is kind of just what it is right now. So, um, in terms of the actual basketball, um, I want to talk about Norman Powell, who's been um, lights out of late. So, yeah. Great transition for me, by the way. <laughs> just moving away from this, all this terrifying stuff. Let's just talk about basketball. <laughs> There's um, no good transition, man. For real. Yeah, like the NBA is playing We're just hoping it doesn't come to that final, you know. No, nah, they're, they're playing Minesweeper like a child would, where you just like randomly click. <laughs> they're not even looking at it strategically. Like, all right, there's a corner here and there's a two and a four or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Norman Powell has been lights out this season. Um, and, 
you know, this is a question that Alex asked to me, but I honestly think that this is just a question worth exploring in general. It's just like, is Norman Powell the shooting guard of the future? Because of late, he has been sensational. Let me give you his February stats. He played 14 games in the month. He averaged 33 minutes. Uh, he's averaged 22 points per game and his shooting splits 53% from the field, 46% from three, making uh, three threes a game, and also 95% from the free throw line in the month, which is uh, obviously a hot streak. But then again, I don't know. Like, First off, is this just a new Norman Powell? Like, is this just what he is at this point? Because it, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like an outlier when he just does it easily every single game. I do think this is the new Norman Powell. I think that... He had a big moment last season where I think he sort of came of age. He became a leader uh, of that bench unit when he was getting the opportunity to start. He was performing. And so that was the biggest thing for me, right? Like when he was going back and forth between starting and coming off the bench last season and was performing to the same level every time, I was like, mm-hmm. man, that's that's a huge positive. That's a real sign of progress. And in terms of, what he's been doing on the court, what was discouraging about his start this season was that it it looked like he had reverted back to the old norm where he was just, you know, a racehorse with blinders on, right? And that, that was the old norm, just no recognition of what was happening across the court. Just, I'm going to take it to the basket. I'm going to be one track minded. I've made up my mind on what I'm going to do. And this is what's going to happen, whatever Whatever the result is, the result is. But last season, we saw his decision-making take an uptick. We saw more balance when he was finishing at the rim. There were times where he was, you know, jumping off two feet. When he was going off the one foot, it, it, you know, he was sidestepping well and just creating more space for himself. And now it seems like he's gone back to that more. And obviously, a lot of that has to do with the fact that as a starter, he's playing with better players. And so... I think it just crystallizes his strengths, which is attacking a closeout, slashing, cutting, and then the three-point shot, like, that thing is real now, right? Yeah. Like, three years now, he's been shooting pretty much 40% uh, from deep, and so uh, I, I think the fact that defenders have to respect that, it just opens up all those other aspects of his game. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, there's always this hesitation with Norm, Um and I don't even think it's just from us as like fans watching it, but also like from the team itself. Like I don't think Norm gets the same opportunities as like some other guys, right? Um, but having said that, though, like that skepticism is kind of a thing of the past because if you just look at, as you mentioned, the th- the three point shooter numbers, he shot forty percent from three in the championship season twenty nineteen. Last year he was at forty percent from three again, and now he's at forty three percent. Like that thing is just he's just a good shooter. Period. Um, yeah. Can he necessarily always create his own shot? That's another question. And we can maybe talk about that. But I think that's been the big delineation in his game, because before that, you know, he shot 40 percent as a rookie, but on very low volume. Then it was 32 percent and then it was 28 percent. So that part of his game was just really missing. And on top of the fact that, you know, he was forced to create a lot more of his own offense. He was injured, kind of like bounced around and stuff like that. I think he's really found a role and he's just really coming into his own. Um, it doesn't really feel unsustainable in that way, which is. You know, maybe that's a conversation in terms of is it sustainable now versus in the playoffs? Because I think that's a that's that's still an open question. But um, mm-hmm. there's nothing that he's doing that doesn't feel like he's like, wow, he just keeps making lucky shots. It doesn't feel like that. Like, you know, one thing I looked up was what's Norman Powell shooting on wide open shots? Because I felt like, I mean, it just feels like automatic. Anytime Norman Powell's yeah. open, he's able to set his feet. It, it's going in, right? Yeah. And Norman Powell's effective field goal percentage on wide open shots this season is 74%, which <laughs> I had to look it up for comparison because obviously I don't know what the rest, what the league looks like, right? So Kyle Lowry, for example, was at 65% on wide open shots. Fred Van Vliet's at 59. Pascal's at 51. So that gives you kind of a range. So obviously Norm is the highest of the bunch there. And then I just, just for fun, just for fun, I decided to look it up. What was Steph Curry's wide open effective field goal percentage in his unanimous MVP season in 2015-2016, it was 70%. So Norm Powell's at wow. 74% right now, which is nuts. And I was like, this has to be an outlier. I looked up his numbers last season. It was 74% last year as well. 
Wow. So that's not. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. But no, he's just that automatic. I think his jumper has obviously over the last few years really gotten to a point where it's consistent. The form looks good. Um, you know, he's he's making it every single time. He's got the gooseneck at the top. Um, he's making it from top of the floor in the corner, everything like that. That's good. And I think, you know, it really the two core tenets of his game are transition and spotting up. And he continues to do that really well, like transitions. 27% of his offense, he's scoring 1.24 points per possession in transition. I think his footwork in terms of getting to his shot in transition is is really good. That's something that like I think Pascal sometimes struggles with, where he'll barrel into guys because his, his footwork is kind of like straightforward, whereas mm-hmm. Norm could chop up his steps, Euro step, uh, you know, uh, drive straight through. Like he's he's got a lot of moves. And he's spotting up well. Like he's spot up shots are 31% of his offense, and he's scoring 1.15 points per possession on that. So the bulk of his offense is stuff that is being set up for him, and he's just an elite finisher, which is – I don't know. I mean, it, it's it, – that that's where I don't really feel like um, he's – it's some sort of fluky necessarily because if you're getting set up for shots and you're taking shots within your role, you should be um, efficient. Like if you're just creating a lot of shots and you're hitting a lot of like pull-up jumpers, then yeah, I might, I might feel like that could be unsustainable, but – for Norm, he's just taking the opportunities that are there, and he's like a clinical finisher. Like, you know, basically the opposite of what Roberto Firmino is <clears throat> at the moment. But uh, <laughs> hey, it's uh, Manchester United in big six games too. So, yeah, yeah, it's okay. We uh, share the same thing. But you know, I guess the one thing I'll ask you is something I've been thinking about over the last few is for whatever reason whether it's media, fans, whoever it is, looking at Norman Powell, we seem to place this glass ceiling on him. Mm-hmm. And you think about the way we talk about Pascal, and it's like, yeah, he's going to keep getting better. and He's going to keep getting better. OG, same thing. Fred Van Vliet, same thing. Norman Powell, like this is a guy who was a 46 pick in the draft, went to the 905, um, obviously wasn't there for very long. But his trajectory, it's like, we never seem to anticipate improvement with him. Mm-hmm. And we always, every time he finds a new level, it's like, okay, we got to trade him because this is it. This is as good as he's going to be. We got to maximize the value, right? And yeah. why can't we anticipate more growth for Norman Powell? And you look at the way he's scoring the ball now, why can't he continue to improve as a defender? You look at the improvements he's made from maybe even the beginning of last season to now, I would say he's, uh, you know, gone up a notch. And, uh, you know, why can't he continue to make steps uh, as a playmaker and facilitate a bit more, improve the rebounding, just round out his game, you know, over the next few seasons? You know, why don't we have those conversations? Why is it every time Norman Powell steps up, we think that this is it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, that's a great question. And I think, um, I, I th- honestly think that some of those years in between maybe scarred us a little bit because we got super excited for him early and then he didn't necessarily meet those expectations immediately. Whereas mm-hmm. other guys have been on a more like linear trajectory. Like Pascal has been on a linear trajectory. He's kind of plateaued this year a little bit, but for the most yeah. part, he's been going consistently up in his career. Fred has been consistently going up in his career. OG is kind of the same way, although his, his, uh, Second year was a little injury prone, but we, we understand what happened there. With Norm, it just feels like he kind of stagnated for like two years. And so I think people kind of got tired of it a little bit. But yeah, so I agree only, with you, man. Like, the only counter argument I would give to that is with both Fred and Pascal, the opportunity also consistently went up, right? And sure. with Norm, yeah. for whatever reason, he had to sit behind Damari Carroll, right? <laughs> like there's there was no good reason for that. Like, think about the development that he could have had if he was just consistently getting starter minutes at that that time. And then, uh, you know, he got the opportunity to start when Damari Carroll left. He got it for like 10 games and then he got hurt. And then OG's been the starter since. That one, you can't really argue. But uh, with that, again, I think opportunity has a big factor to play. And so now we're seeing him with opportunity these last couple of seasons and he's really delivered. Yeah, I think it's another case of like, you need to find a role first, right? Especially if you're not a star player, like you need to find your role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do you roll for a few years and then you really learn to grow in your role. And yeah. I think Norm in the last three years has really found his role, especially the last two years as this like pinch in starter who's just like money every single time. 
And I think yeah. really the question is now, like, I, I don't really worry about, like, the his scoring efficiency now. I think he's really, he's just finishing a lot of sequences. And he's a guy who's a great play finisher. Whether you're finding him in transition, whether you're finding him off a cut, whether you're finding him uh, spotting up. He's just a guy who it has the skill set to finish efficiently. Like, he is really good at talking closeouts. He's really good at, you know, obviously hitting down, knocking down catch-and-shoot threes. Um, obviously really good in transition. Uh, he, he could do a lot. I think really the question is like, what more can he do in terms of can he create his own offense and can he create offense for others? Because I do think that if you have this much scoring ability as Norm does, I, I do think there is some responsibility to see if he can create something for himself. Because if he can, then that means that you can have him more with the bench. Um, or not even just with the bench because he needs to be benched. Just like as another playmaker um, who can initiate offense rather than finishing it. Uh, because I think that's really the main reason why he plays so well with the starters is that there's multiple playmakers so that Norm has more opportunities to just finish rather than create. And then, you know, the part of creating is just a setting of uh, other people. And, and Norm has been consistently just like, you know, uh, 1.5 assists, 1.8 assists, 1.7 assists. Like, it's not a guy that you'll necessarily look for playmaking from him. But is yeah. that an element? Do you feel like there's more things that Norm can do to just create his own offense or even create for others? I think there's flashes of it. I wouldn't necessarily expect him to just become a guy that averages four or five assists a game. Mm-hmm. But I think there, there's opportunities for him to develop in that regard and just be a bit better. I mean, we've seen games this season where he has put up some decent assist numbers, right? Like he's had a few games where he's had at least five assists. I'm, I'm just looking back at the counter, like even recently, Feb 23rd against Philly, six assists. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the there was the back to back against the Pacers, six assists in each of those games. So yep. I think it's I, I think it's there a little bit, uh, and so he can improve in that spa- aspect. The one thing I would like to see him improve a lot is the rebounding. I don't think there's any reason why he shouldn't be a good rebounder. Obviously, the one big factor is he loves to get out and transition and get, and get ahead of the uh, defense, yep. and so he leaks out quite a bit and. Let's face it, sometimes he does sort of zone out and, you know, he contests a shot and he thinks his job is done where he's got to just finish it, finish off the possession. So I think rebounding is definitely an aspect that he can definitely improve. One thing that does encourage me is I was checking cleaning the glass and in terms of uh, shots that are assisted Mm -hmm. at the rim last season, 70% of his field goals were assisted. That's down to 58% this season um, okay. for his threes since he's been in the NBA. So 15, 16 season, 94%, then 94%, 92, 94, 95. So pretty much all his threes are assisted this season. Yep. It's down to 82%. So both those areas, which are big for him, uh, less of them are coming assisted. And so I think that's another area that lends toward him progressing in creating his own shot uh, and being able to create space for himself. And so that's encouraging. The next step is continuing to work on that mid-range as well, right? We've seen what it can do for Fred. Mm -hmm. And so if he can develop that aspect of his offense, I think that's going to be crucial, especially, you know, in terms of the portability of his game to the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. The more tools you have, the better, especially when you're a scorer. Um, because, you know, realistically, there is something in his skill set where if the Raptors' initial playmaking is shut down, which we have seen, like last year, for example, Pascal's initial playmaking was just shut down in the, in the Celtics series. And Fred mm-hmm. can be shut down in terms of his neutral... Uh, it, it, part of his offense can be neutralized. Um, it, there's an element of that with Kyle, too, although Kyle is much savvier and, and could get to it uh, more reliably. But... Um, if you're looking at a guy just to finish, that's always going to be affected in the playoffs because, you know, that's kind of a downstream effect. And I think some of those numbers that you mentioned is important for Norm to kind of pick up some of these things. Like, I think one thing that's um, a little bit promising from his game this year is that, um, so 14% of his offense is coming out of pick and roll this year. And he's scoring 1.20 points per pick and roll, which is ridiculous. Like, that number is not sustainable. Like, even Steph Curry doesn't really (laughs) do that or Dame Lillard doesn't do that. But... The promising part is that last year he was at 0.8 points per possession. So that's a huge jump already, a 50% bump. 
And I do think that a large part of that is just he's hitting pull-up jumpers, I feel like, at a more consistent rate. And what I mean by that is just the ball swung to Norm. He gets a screen, and the defender goes under because they're anticipating Norm going to the basket. And Norm just, like, sets his feet and pulls up. And it's, like, a very simple play. It's not necessarily something that, again, more diligent defense can maybe take away from him. But I do think that that spot-up three, at least, or that that, that pull-up three for him looks a lot better. Um, than previous years. I trust him to shoot it more often. And that's an area where, I mean, listen, if you're if you're already a really good three-point shooter and you can set your feet, it doesn't really matter that much if you're getting it off the catch rather than if you're you're getting it off the dribble. Um, it's not like Norm's going to ever be wasteful with his dribble. I think that's really nice. Like, you never see Norm take, like, seven dribbles to get to a shot, right? Yeah. Like, Norm's taking two hard dribbles and he's either pulling up <laughs> or he's at the rim. That's it, which is part of yeah. why he's so efficient. But... Um, I do want to see that pull up three, uh, maybe more consistently and more often. Cause I feel like that's an area for him in terms of playmaking or anything like, I mean, I, I did ask you that question, but I do feel kind of, I don't know. He just doesn't really strike me as a guy that has great passing vision. Um, he'll pass mm-hmm. obviously if he's, if he's getting contested, he's not a selfish player, but he's not necessarily a guy that you look to to create for others, but you don't necessarily need that. As long as he could create offense for himself, that'll be good. Because I think. The, the main question I have is just, can he sustain this in the playoffs? Because I think that Norman's had great playoff moments, absolutely. But whole entire great playoff series, there's been like two from yeah. Norm, right? 2017 against the Bucks, first round when he gets put in as a starter. Honestly, mm-hmm. that was like um, that was like 0.75. He was so good in that last four games of that series that he, he didn't miss a three. He, he shot like nine for 10 from three or something. He was 12 of 13 for three. <laughs> it was ridiculous um and he's been that way against the bucks ever since by the way but uh and then last year against the nets in the first round obviously the nets were super banged up but norm averaged 17 points per game in that net series it's been i don't know he's kind of really up and down and i do feel like if he's going to be a core piece i think you do need some more consistency from him in terms of his scoring and i don't want to hold a double standard because obviously we've seen fred be inconsistent with his scoring we've seen Pascal be inconsistent with the scoring. I mean, we've even seen Kyle be inconsistent with the scoring. But the thing is, those other guys do other parts to contribute to the whole of the team. Whereas Norm, his role is so centered around scoring that if he's inconsistent there, then it really drags down the quality of this play. So, I mean, what do you what what would you need to see from him in terms of consistency um, heading into the playoffs? Yeah, I think that's an important comparison you make because if you look at Norm his floor is much lower than everyone else, right? And that's what creates the issue for him. It's not like, hey, he's struggling with his shot, but he's still giving you great defense. Like when you look at Pascal Siakam in the bubble, it's like, yeah, he's struggling so much offensively, but everything he's giving you defensively is so valuable that you need him on the court. And it's just not the same with Norm. And so I think that's a big area for him to continue to work on, continue to develop and... You know, I, th- I think he has the tools, right? He has the athleticism. Um, maybe if there's one thing you question, it's like, does he really have the feel? But I think it's that's more of, you know, just continuing to concentrate throughout the whole possession. Don't at any point think your job is done. And I think there's still too a few too many of those possessions where it's like, yep, contested the shot, job's done. Or, you know, a player makes the rotation and it's almost like he's anticipating uh, that that's the end of it, that he doesn't do his part. And so little things like that is what, what I would like to see him work on so that, you know, he buys himself enough time where it's like, even if it's a rough start offensively, he's doing enough things defensively where nurse is willing to give him time to work through it. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. that's where I think consistency can come in. Um, as far as the playoffs are concerned, you mentioned, you know, the the... The way he's able to vault up, uh, it just looks better. Everything is working better in that regard. Uh, and there's not much difference between him, you know, catching and shooting or uh, just rising up off the dribble. The playoffs, he's got to show that that consistency can be maintained because we talked about him shooting 40% from three and he's shooting 40% on non-corner threes in the regular season, the last couple of seasons. But... 18-19, when it went when it came time for the playoffs, it was down to 33%. 19-20, last season in the bubble, when it came to the playoffs, it was down to 31%. Plus 
player like teams are going to force you into the areas that you're uncomfortable and so norm is going to have to prove that this time in the playoffs that he can make that above the break three consistently as consistently as he does in the regular season then you look at mid-range shots 18 19 he shot 21 percent on mid-range shots 19 20 shot 27 percent on mid-range shots so that's again another area where if teams are going to take away your biggest strengths you have to be comfortable taking the shots that they don't want you to take. Yeah. And part of that goes to, you know, shot creation as well, because, um, you know, again, like just even the ability to create separation, to create a shot for himself needs to kind of get a little bit better. And there's some like small elements I feel like he's getting better at. I think, you know, the, the pull up shooting, I think is something that's promising in the pick and roll. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I noticed this more in the, the, the Rockets game, but he did a better job of using the pump fake and drawing yeah. contact. Kind of DeMar style, quite honestly. Um, I think he got P.J. Tucker to foul him on a three. Then he got P.J. Tucker up in the air. And th- even that just small little fake gave him that small window to punch through. And when you're that athletic, like Norm is, a small little fake to get a guy slightly out is going to create that little gap for him to, to to exploit, right? He doesn't need to, like, completely cross a guy up like like Fred does to get to an open shot, like what Fred did to Giannis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it could just be a little bit subtle, but I think all these little small points are, are going to be interesting. I do like the fact that teams are guarding Norm a little bit differently. Um, I, I asked Norm this after the second Philly game, um, if he if he's noticed teams being more uh, focused on him uh, def- uh, defensively. And he is saying, yes, he does feel like teams are uh, being more physical and stuff like that. And so I kind of actually like that. I do think that um, obviously that, that physicality is going to be amped up in the playoffs. And and learning how to play against physicality um, as a shooting guard is going to be very important, especially when you use fakes, when you can um, use – when you can, you know, meet their physicality because Norm is also a pretty powerful finisher. Like he can bump a guy out of the way and finish. So I think all these small little adjustments is going to be big. I mean, to be honest, it's it's really just a TBD, right? Like, if he can do it in the playoffs, then I think that would really help in terms of his case of getting a big paycheck after this year. Because I think regardless of what happens in the playoffs, he's probably going to opt out because he's underpaid at the moment, only $10 million a year. And quite honestly, he's deserving of a new contract. Um, and this is kind of a contract year for him anyway. And yeah, I think if he does really well in the playoffs, obviously his, his numbers will go up even more in terms of salary. But I, I don't know, are you starting to get worried about sort of how much you would need to pay to retain norm and be like, are you, are you confident in norm as a shooting guard of the future? I have confidence in norm as a shooting guard in the future. If he can continue to develop, I'm not too concerned about him being overpriced. For me, I view him as someone that's in that 15 to 17 mil range. Okay. Again, what's that? No, I said, okay. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's something he's deserving of. I, I think what pulls his price down is, again, the fact that he hasn't necessarily proven himself to be a two-way player yet. And mm. so, if if you if if you look around at what the Raptors have, you look at what Fred got paid four years, eighty-five. He's not getting that. You look at what OG got. I know he was restricted four years, seventy-two. Um. I can't imagine the Raptors going up that high. So I think something in the 60 to 65 mil range, if it it were a four-year deal, I think that's what the Raptors would look at. And that's something that I'd be comfortable with. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think, um, I feel like it's going to be a three-year deal just because Mm -hmm. I think the Raptors like to line up their contracts. Yeah. You know, Um, and I think right now they kind of have the core kind of uh, extended for multiple years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at players with a similar profile to Norm, right? I think the guy probably most similar to what Norm does is like essentially last year's version of Tim Hardaway Jr. I don't know how he's doing this year, but I definitely know last year Tim Hardaway Jr. was doing a little bit better. Tim Hardaway was probably a little bit better of a shooter. Didn't get to the rim as well as Norm does, but um, also a very, pretty much a very efficient play finisher who doesn't do that much else. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Clarkson's another guy, although Clarkson's more in that Lou Williams role of he has the ball, he's creating a lot more offense. So it's different. He's not just finishing, he's creating as well. And creating, generally speaking, is more valuable than finishing. And Clarkson got a four-year $51 million deal, whereas uh Tim Hardaway got 472. This is like a few years ago from the Nets. So or from the from the Knicks. 
So kind of somewhere in that range, I, you know, I, I agree with you. Like, I think 460 makes sense. If, if that's a three-year deal, it's like 345, maybe with the third year as a player option. Um, you'd be pretty comfortable with that. I mean, like Norm's, what, 27 years old. He's going to be 28 next year uh, at the start of next season. You know, yeah. I think you, you'd be totally comfortable giving him a three-year deal. Um, and really, the, the, in terms of shooting out of the future, I mean, I think he clearly fits with some of these other guys, right? Like, my only concern is really just like, okay, if he's going to play with this group, does that take away shots a little bit from other guys like OG, for example? Because if you have Norman the starting five, then OG's back to being the fifth option, and there's maybe less shots available for OG. But at the same time, it's not like you want to take away shots from Norm, man. <laughs> it's not necessarily about we need to give this guy this many shots just because. It's really which guy can we give, how can we distribute the, the number of shots so that we get efficient offense? And really, you don't want to take anything away from Norm because Norm's true shooting percentage is like 65 this year. <laughs> so it's not yeah. even that much of a concern. So clearly he can play with the rest of the guys. And honestly, like who else is ready to play a shooting guard? Nobody. Right? Nope. Nope. I th- so I think that's where, you know, the Raptors kind of have to make a determination. I don't know if they can afford to wait and see, oh, you know, is he the real deal in the playoffs and make a judgment from there? I think you've got to figure out that if if you believe Norman Powell is the shooting guard of the future, then continue as is. If you don't believe that, and then I think you've got to go and find some value for him. Because, you know, the other side of winning the championship was you had all these guys on one-year deals and you really got no return on that, right? Like you had Marcus All, you had nothing to show for him. Um, Kawhi, nothing to show for him. Uh, again, outside of the championship, I'm talking about. I was gonna say, yeah, no, I mean that's what I started with, right? Like, yeah. you, you you traded it, uh, you did that for the championship, but now on the other side of it, can you continue this pattern, right? Where can you can you also afford to lose potentially Norman Powell and Kyle Lowry for nothing? And so I think that's where you have to make the determination now. If Norman Powell is part of your future then continue and then show him the money in the off season. If you think you're, you know, you're unsure or whatever it is, I think you've got to look at what value you can get for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know, man. I mean, I guess the way you, you would get value for him would be, let's say you trade him for a center, for example. Um, right. Because that's probably maybe what the Raptors need the most, but I don't. I mean, I don't know, man. It's just like Norm's been so good. It's really hard to part with him. Yeah. No, I like him. I, I'm comfortable yeah. with with you know the future being like just establishing him as the core alongside Fred and OG and Pascal. Yeah. And so I I do lean towards that. But you know I I don't know what the front office thinks, and so if they don't feel the same way, I I would just hate to sort of dilly dally around it not look to make a move now and then uh, and then lose another free agent for nothing in the in the offseason. Yeah. No, it's uh and l- listen, if you do commit to Norm, then that's four of your core pieces. I mean, it's going to be very hard to improve your team outside of that, especially if yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to just re-sign everybody, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Like if you re-sign Norm to essentially like you give him a 5 million dollar bump. Um Kyle's apparently demand he wants another 2 years at the same salary right now, 30 mil. And honestly, He's continuing to play an all-star level. It's, it's not unreasonable. Um, you bring those guys back. You bring uh, Chris Boucher. You, you, you know, you pick up Chris Boucher's uh, non-guaranteed contract for seven million, yeah. obviously, because he's been great. Yeah. Um, and already, you're you're close to you're over a hundred million dollars. You're, you're you're almost over the, the the just the actual salary cap itself, mm-hmm. <laughs> just with that. So it's gonna be a little bit hard to uh, improve the roster. But honestly, I mean, I, again, I just don't know what other option you have? Like, who else are you starting as shooting guard, right? None of these other guys that maybe last year you were looking at, okay, you know, Terrence Davis is a promising rookie, um, but he's regressed. Uh, and, you know, you look at Matt Thomas, he was a promising-ish rookie. I don't know necessarily he was ever going to start, but a guy you can rely on, but now he's out of the rotation entirely. It's pretty much just Norm. So that's kind of where it's the numbers are at. But good for Norm, honestly, man. Good for Norm. And listen, if you sign a guy to a contract – you can also still move the guy, too. That's the thing. When you have the asset on your team, um, that's something you can actually use to to trade and balance it out. But I think from and the that's moment, generally generally the way the Raptors have gone, right? Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, you know, it, it worked out. Like, for example, they, they they signed JV to that extension and it worked out as a trade asset for them to get the final piece of their mm-hmm. championship, right? So Yeah, they signed DeMar. They did sign DeMar, yeah. And then and then we saw what happened. Yeah. DeMar looking good these days, though. I'm very happy for DeMar. Oh, man. DeMar, DeMar looking, looking good. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's actually unbelievable. Like Demar is really a, it's like obviously he's always been a super unique player because he's kind of a throwback player in, the, in in a very modern age, but now he's even more throwback than before, and he's just like gone so good at just like like how is a how is a guard consistently shooting like above fifty percent from two? That's just, it doesn't really make sense to me, especially because he's creating a lot of those own shots. He's obviously taking the pull up mid range. Uh, his assists are really high now. He, yo, he's. At I mean, he's basically point, playing point guard. Yo, he's at 7.2 assists per game and only 1.7 turnovers. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's basically their point guard now. And I think that makes life a lot easier uh, yeah. and just makes it easier for him to be on the court too. Mm. So, yeah, good for him, man. Another guy that's just continued to evolve and develop. And you know, for all the hate, he's a pretty damn good player. He's a pretty damn good player. Um, I also want to touch on the Raptors in terms of their rotation. So, I mean, uh, when they come back, when they play next, when everyone is healthy, which honestly, that could just be a, a pie in the sky situation. Um, but it did seem like in that heat game, when everyone was available that, uh, I don't know. It felt like the Raptors had too many guys a little bit, you know what I mean? Like I felt like the rotation mm-hmm. was kind of in flux. Uh, obviously, Nick went to his first crop of bench guys. That didn't really work. Then he went to his second crop of bench guys. That worked yeah. better. Um, so l- let's just kind of build the starting the, just the rotation from scratch because I do think that that is still something, even though we're halfway through the season, um, still a little bit um, uncertain. So let's start here. What, what lineup would you have as the best starting five with everybody is healthy? Who do you want to start in your starting five? It's the small five. It's Kyle, Fred, Norm, OG, and Siakam. I think that lineup has proven itself. I think that lineup, more than anything, just puts all the role players in their most comfortable position and the best position to succeed. So you you think about Aaron Baines. He's absolutely not a starting center, but he's given you some nice minutes when he's in the backup role. Chris Boucher is better suited as a power forward. We've seen him and Baines combine for good minutes together. So I think there's a positive there. And then, yeah, all the other pieces can fall into place. So, yeah, that's the way I lean with the starting uh, and the closing five. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, That group has only actually played 51 minutes, which is the fifth most played lineup uh, with the Raptors this season. I think part of that is just because a lot of those guys have been out. Um, OG missing time, Pascal missing time, Kyle missing time. So, um, Mm -hmm. That's what limited that group. But in those 51 minutes, their offensive rating is 107, which is pretty good. Could be better. Honestly, I, th- I thought it would be a little bit better, but could be could be better, but a decent number. But the best part is the defensive rating is at 95, which is, I think that's where the Raptors are going to excel if they can actually lock down defensively. One of the issues they've had with their starting lineups is just that it doesn't really feel like they have a defensively solid alignment uh, otherwise. And you might right. think, well... It would be it's strange to not have a center, but that's your best defensive lineup. But I also think that just reflects the reality of the NBA today. Like, you know, like we saw this lineup go up against the Bucks, for example, and you would figure you need rim protection against the Bucks. And the Raptors did really well just with their small ball group. And um yeah, I agree with you. I think that's probably is the best starting lineup. Um some other like just, just some other options they've gone with, like um, you know, the regular starting lineup, Kyle Fred, OG, Pascal Baines. They're at 103 offensive rating with a 107 defensive rating. So defense is average and their offense has just been really terrible. I think any combination with Baines and Pascal has just not worked at all. Yeah, that's just um, a no. Yeah, and then even if you start Boucher, the issue with starting Boucher is just that um, the defense has not been solid enough with Boucher at center. Yeah, It doesn't really matter if you have OG with him, if you have Pascal with him. Um, the defensive rating is just high. It's at 108. Uh, he's way too jumpy lineups. still, right? Like he he's still yeah. one of those guys that chases blocks, and any anytime there's a pump fake, you know he's going to fall for it. Yeah, and I, and I do like the idea of bringing him off the bench because I do think that it brings a lot of energy for the team, and it allows you to sort of see if Boucher has it for that night. And if he has it, then you just you just ride him and play him like 15 straight minutes. 
Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't have it, then you can at least limit him a, a little bit worse. If you start a guy, um, I mean, I don't know. Generally speaking, you're going to roll with him a little bit longer than a bench guy. So I agree with you. That's probably the best starting five. Um, who can you rely on off the bench? So you'd have to put Chris Boucher in that list. Yep. Six man. Yep. I like the way DeAndre Bemery has come on over the last, you know, 10 games or so. So I like him in terms of what he, I feel like he, what he brings to the table is necessary. A bit of that playmaking, a bit of that hustle, that positional versatility. So I feel like he's someone I can count on because I'm also not expecting too much. You know, it's not like I'm uh, the Raptors are asking him to go out and score 15 points every game, right? It's, it's very uh, basic stuff that Bembry's being asked of, and it's stuff that he's, uh, you know, well, uh, well skilled to do and perform. So I'd put him in that list. Baines is just a toss up every night. So I wouldn't put him in that list, although he has been better off the bench. Um, yeah, beyond that, I mean, you'd have to say Terrence Davis has been better than he was at the start of the season. I, I don't know if he's someone I count on. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's slim pickings after that. Like Utah, uh, you know, defensively, I, I love what he gives. Mm-hmm. And... I, I think there was a stretch where he was definitely dependable, but after that, I think it's kind of waned. And you know, yeah, he got hurt too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been the biggest thing. So we'll see. It, I'd like to think that he's dependable, but oh, we'll just have to see how things play out. Yeah, um, I kind of agree with you. I think those the next four guys you mentioned are probably the guys the Knicks going to turn to. One of the big issues with that group is that. Just out of those four players, between Boucher, Baines, Bembry, and Davis, you don't have much play creation happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you have guys who will take shots like Terrence, but I wouldn't say he's a playmaker. Um, and Bembry is, is a playmaker in a sense, but he's not really like a guy who can impact a, a half-court defense that much to the point where he can set other guys up. Right. And so what you're usually seeing is Kyle with that group or Fred with that group. And especially when Fred's with that group, he's like the number one, two, and three option. And I don't think they, I don't think Fred's equipped for that. I don't even think Kyle's equipped for that. And even though Kyle can work his magic a little bit with that bench group, that's just kind of tough. I really would like to see the Raptors if they can, if they're not going to upgrade their centers, which, you know, honestly, if you're going to start small, um, that's less of a concern because now you don't necessarily need a starting center. I would like to see them bring in just like a little bit of playmaking off the bench, ideally like a bigger playmaker. Like mm-hmm. if, for example, if like someone like Utah, someone who played defense like Utah, but also could uh, create a play, like essentially like a Nick Batum, for example. Um, That'd be nice. That would be nice. You know, and it wouldn't have to be that much. But when you look at that group of Boucher, Baines, Bembry, and Davis, not a single guy in that group can consistently create offense. Yeah. And that is a concern. So It is a concern for sure. And that's why the Raptors are so dependent on their core. Right? And that's why they've had to resort to starting them. There was, you know, I think when you started out the season, if if you were thinking going in that Baines could provide some of those starting minutes and then you have Powell off the bench and, you know, maybe that lends towards a bit more flexibility with the guards in terms of how you stagger them. Now, you know, you've got to make, decisions between fred and kyle and then work out the rotations accordingly so yeah it's it's stretching those guys thin and again that's going to play into the second half of the season big time because you're going to be asking a lot out of them and you hope there's something left at (laughs) at the end of the regular season because we've seen what happens when you ask a lot out of small guards uh over the course of the entire regular season yeah yeah, and so that's probably what, I mean, if the Raptors just decide to become buyers of the trade deadline, which it's still very unclear if the Raptors are going to buy or sell the trade deadline, um, given that they're 500. But um, if they decide to buy, that's probably one area I would look to buy, just another playmaker. Because, you know, you do see that, like, the Raptors will go through, like, three-minute stretches where they don't score, five-minute stretches where they don't score. Like, they yeah. had, like, an eight-minute stretch against the Timberwolves where they didn't have a single field goal. Mm-hmm. And it hurt my soul, man. 
The Timberwolves. Yep. The Timberwolves, bro. They didn't even have a Jordan McLaughlin, man. Jordan McLaughlin was lighting us up. <laughs> <laughs> it was unfortunate, man. Um, yeah. I mean, what, what do you what do you think will happen at the trade deadline? Uh, before we go, like, do you do you, do you see another major move happening in the Eastern Conference? And if so, which team? Look, if if there's going to be a major move, I think it's going to be Philly. I just think okay. with Dal Morey's mentality. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, having missed out on Harden, I wouldn't be surprised if he went out and tried to make a move. I wouldn't be surprised if he really really came hard for Kyle Lowry. Um, you know, if he was close on James Harden for with the Rockets, then I could, you know, if, if it came down to really swinging for it and there's nothing else available, I could see him being tempted to just get Victor Oladipo on board. Yeah, I don't know about that one, man. Victor look, Victor's looking tough. Yeah, it is looking tough. I feel tough, so bad for the guy. But man. that's the thing. I, I feel like if, if you don't have to give up much, and if Kyle's not available, what yeah. else is really available at that position where you have a need? Right? Yeah. So I think that's kind of what it is. So, yeah. I, I mean, if, if, if I was Daryl Morey, Taking away any Raptors affiliation whatsoever, I would definitely be asking what it would take to get Kyle Lowry in a Sixers uniform. Because if you can put him next to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Seth Curry and Tobias Harris, I I do think because right right now I wouldn't pick them to beat the Brooklyn Nets, right? No, no. And and I think deep down Daryl Morey probably looks at it and says, "Yeah, we need another piece." And so they need perimeter playmaking. Like it's yeah. it's been that way ever since they. I mean, without Jimmy Butler, they had this issue. With Jimmy Butler, they didn't have this issue, and it almost worked against the championship Raptors. And yeah. then last year, they didn't have this playmaker whatsoever. Of course, last year Ben Simmons was hurt, but still, like they just need that guy. Yeah, exactly. So if if I were to look at someone in the East making a big play, that's who I would look at. I, you know, Indiana. We're gonna have to see which way it goes with them. So. Will they potentially be sellers by the deadline? Because they've they've been struggling a bit. They're what three games under five hundred now. If if Nate Bjorkren can't right the ship, um, then I could see them potentially being sellers. Where you know maybe a Miles Turner becomes interesting to teams. You look at you know, the glut of sort of guards that they have between T.J. Warren and Jeremy Lamb and Karis Levert. Oh, what's happening there? So. I could see them potentially being sellers and someone looking to buy off them. So I think that's going to be interesting as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's so weird this year at the trade deadline because there's so many teams that you would think would be incentivized to sell um, just because there's no fans. And if you wanted to tank, this is like normally you don't want to tank because there's a hit to attendance. So very little yeah. attendance, period. So like there's maybe more incentive. Um, to tank and also there's also the factor that literally every team is 500 <laughs> so it's hard like, <laughs> you know you go on a three-game winning streak and all of a sudden you're like fourth in the conference like the new york knicks for example which is uh pretty pretty wild to say but um like alex said man the 90s are back yeah i guess so <laughs> i uh you know missed most of that period well i'm not missed most of that period i just was in china for most of that period but uh yeah, I mean, damn. Honestly, it, seeing Knicks fans like just like uh, like dance in the streets outside of MSG um, <laughs> after they hit 500 was was really real. It, it reminds me of like it reminds me of like when the Raptors fans like this is different, obviously, but like when the Raptors fans when we stormed Young and Dundas after uh, the Raptors beat the Heat to advance to the conference finals in 2016. Obviously, it's different, right? That, that was a yeah. 56 win team that went to the conference finals, whereas this is 500. But it reminds yeah. me of similar behaviors. Like I could tell that like it's a group that has been really down for a while, that has a really great fan base and just really wants to celebrate the team. And I'm happy for the Knicks fans, honestly. I've always loved Knicks fans. They're they're hilarious. They're ridiculous. And like 500 to them is like a championship to us, which is... Um, yeah. So being I'm, I'm being 500 is their conference finals. <laughs> no, it's been a while, though. It's been a while. Like, they had that one year with um, J.R. and Mello and Tyson Chandler. And, um, you know, they had that. They had Jeremy Lin for, like, a hot two months. 
But aside from that, like it's been so dark. So any chance to celebrate during the pandemic, um, you know, go ahead. Like you got to cherish these uh, happy memories. So I'm I'm happy for the Knicks. No hate for the Knicks whatsoever. That might be one of the Raptors' best wins of the season, beating the Knicks. You know, <laughs> we're all like, oh wow, I guess the Raptors finally got their first win against the Knicks. But does that really count? No, it, it counted, man. The Knicks apparently are very good. <laughs> Who knew? So, yeah. No, nah, this is crazy, man. You shot so, RJ mean, Barrett, man. RJ Barrett's playing better. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, I've, part of me is like, I'm also, weirdly enough, rooting for Canadians to like not play on winning teams this year just so that it could be available for the qualifying tournament. <laughs> Selfishly? Well, I mean, you know, that's not going to be a problem for Shea and Dort. Yeah. I mean, yo, th- just those two at the backbone of the team would be pretty great. Because I think Giannis is probably not going to play. Because let's say the Bucks, you know, somehow get into the third round of the playoffs. Giannis is not going to be available for Greece. And Greece is probably the toughest team in that entire um, uh, conference for, for, for in the entire tournament, at least the, the one that's scheduled to take place in Victoria. Because it's like Nick Nurse going to throw a series so Giannis doesn't play for Greece. To be honest, if Nick Nurse is able to beat Giannis, with Team Canada, <laughs> we, 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 we might just have to have a conversation about Giannis. <laughs> we might just have to have a conversation. I'm just saying, if it's like Lou Dort with, um, I don't know, man, Owen Klassen at the basket, and Giannis oh, still man. can't score, then we need, to, we need to have wall. that conversation. <laughs> Yo, he really is. Wall with Dort, Klassen, and uh, Bennett. <laughs> You don't even need to, man. Dorian himself, he's like a walking wall, man. That guy is so thick. Uh, no, man, I, I can't wait, honestly. I, I'm Obviously, like, you know, Team Canada is, is, um, is always a question mark, especially for the men's team. But, I mean, damn, they, they got to they gotta take advantage of the talent that they have. So. All right, buddy. They do. Um, they do. V, thanks for joining me on the pod, as always, man. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, why don't you tell people what you're working on, everything like that, and um, yeah, what we can look out for, man. You're doing big things over at CBC. <laughs> Same stuff as usual. CBC uh, North Courts is every Wednesday night at 8 p.m., so be sure to check out the next one. Um, we talked to the CBL commissioner about what to expect this season, so you can look forward to that. Beyond that, uh, usual stuff at Complex with Raptor stuff. And outside of that, you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Oh, I have my Manchester United podcast. I was going to say, man, come on. Yo, man, I I was in basketball mode. I was was in full-out basketball mode. Uh, Red Couch Manx. United uh, would not have expected them to be, you know, what is it? Like seven points above Liverpool at this stage? Oh, come on. Um, (laughs) Bro, West Ham is fourth in the table right now. (laughs) It's wild. This season is wild, man. What is this season, man? Like. Minimum three insane results. Yeah. No, it's so. it's 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 stupid, man. Essentially, the the, the NBA is everyone's five hundred. Uh, it's it's like that in the EPL, except for a city who like win every single game now. Yeah, but it's crazy, right? Like, city is the only team that has the depth uh, to like somewhat withstand injuries. Yeah, <sighs> I, I really hate how talented that squad is, man. Like, a good one is like overcoming his injuries, and now he's like scoring freely. But just the number of attackers they have is is kind of nuts. Because like, let's say like you know Liverpool's in trouble, or whatever. We got to go to the bench, and we're like reaching for Divock or Rigi again. <laughs> and like, who do you guys bring off the bench? Like Dan- Daniel James. Yeah. So, right. Like City's just like, oh yeah, yeah here's the uh, Riyad Mahrez. Yeah. <laughs> just just come in. Oh, Gabby. Yeah, exactly. Phil, Phil Foden. It's ridiculous. You know, Bernardo Silva. Like, ugh, I hate that team, man. But. It's, it must be nice to uh, have all that oil money backing you. Mm-hmm. Damn. We sounding salty as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I hate but you know, all, all in all, I will say, like, I'd obviously my most preferred choice would be neither. But if I had to pick one between City and Liverpool to win the title, I would pick City just because... Like it's act, it, it's actually close between United and Liverpool, right? It's twenty to nineteen, and City's at like what four, five. So yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, they're running away with this year, but you know, good luck to you guys in Europa, of course. 
<laughs> Sorry, man. That's all I have left, man. That's all I have left is that you guys are. I'll, I'll let you have that. I'll let you have that. Yo, man. Me and How are you guys doing in Europa, by the way? Good, man. We got AC Milan next. Round of 16. Oh, wow. Joe Cash is going to be on the pod. I can't wait, man. Damn. That's going to be feisty. Uh, That'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. We'll see. Zlatan's not playing the first leg, so we'll see if he makes it for the second one. Why? Is he like suspenders on it? No, he's injured. He got he's like injured. some adductor injury. That's tough. I, I mean, I do like Zlatan a lot, but I don't know why he decided to go at LeBron. That was a little strange. But uh, Yeah, he just randomly decided to be Zlatan and Grahamovic. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, yeah, I never know what to make of the Italian clubs because I feel like like, first off, Italy is also really jumbled this year. Like, anyone can win it this year. It's not even necessarily Juve is going to take it. Uh, oh, but... Juve is not even there. Like, Inter is looking like the favorite right now. Right? But, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't. I can't judge the quality of these clubs. Sometimes I look at, like, the Inter, for example. I'm like, all right, so it's really Lukaku and, and Ashley Young. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, I, I get it. People can go to different situations and thrive. Like, Lukaku is always a quality player. I think you guys are too hard on them at United, but, like, still. I don't know how to judge Italian clubs. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we'll get a good taste of it uh, when United play AC, and then I can report back to you. Yeah, there you go. All right, buddy. Thanks for coming to the podcast, as always. Uh, listeners, thanks for listening. Hopefully, there's Raptors games. If there are Raptors games, I'll be reacting to them. If not, um, I'll be, you know, calling my friends up and uh, talking more Raptors, finding a way to talk about the Raptors uh, any way we can. So hopefully everyone is healthy. Hopefully everyone is safe. Uh, big thanks to V for coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'll check back in later this week. <clears throat> All right. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.